Commercial Cash Flow Show. All right, Brandon Buto and Martin Gore here with the Commercial Cash Flow Show with another week of client questions. So I'll just start off with the first question that we got. It was, how do I recognize a potential non-paying customer? And some of the things that I could think of were, obviously, communication will slow uh, and they'll start to use other suppliers. Those are some of the the same experiences I have had. The one uh, on... as it relates to my experience, uh, is the, your, the, the, the pay habit starts to start to change. Um, the first indicator, the very first indicator is going to be communication. Yeah. When you start to not get those phone calls, Hey, I'm going to be a couple of days late on this month's or, or this week's uh, progress payment or whatever the case may be. And they come through with it. That's kind of been the status quo as far as the business and relationship that you had with them. And then when that vacates and that stops, that's your first sign is, is the, uh, the lack of communication, which also goes part and parcel into their paying habits start to change. This guy's been, you know, pretty much Johnny on the spot every two weeks, you know, paying you when he gets his money from his vendors or, or, or GCs or what have you. And then suddenly it becomes two and a half weeks and then it becomes three weeks. And then along with that, the communication starts to diminish and, and, and drop off. He's not responding to emails. He or she, whomever it is. Um, those are the first primary indicators of a, of a potential non-paying customer. Now you as the um, owing or, or the, the, the party, the money's owed to are starting to ask yourself, well, you know, what do I do with this? Your best bet is to try to extend the amount of level, the level and frequency of your communication. And hopefully you can get the, uh, the non-paying party on the phone and, you know, get to the, the, the root cause of why are they not paying you? Because it's just human nature when you can't follow through with what you've committed to, i.e. a bill, you tend to back off until you have direct answers because then you're left shucking and jiving and trying to figure out how am I going to placate this guy to say, look, I'm going to pay you, but you know, I don't have specifics right now, but that's where you and the, uh, the, uh, person that owes you the money, you have, you have to work together. But that, if that's not even the case, then you might have to take, you know, start to consider taking other steps and maybe, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting with an attorney or an outside collection agency uh, to invoke that that mind that mindset when that call comes from an attorney or or you know uh, uh, outside collection agency that that you know you, you need to be paid and and this isn't something that you have the luxury of just setting on a shelf. Yep, absolutely. Also, uh, another point that I had was commonsensical errors like when the excuses start to not make sense, right? It's just, right. Uh, obviously the other suppliers, if the communication lines lines are open and the excuses are not jiving with what a normal human being would know to be true, that's another telltale. And, uh, you know, in, in normal human being is a, is a subjective statement. You know, one person's identification of what normal is might be different from the other guy, but let's go with the part and parcel. The normal human being is somebody that, you know, takes care of their obligations and what have you. Uh, but it, it, you, you have to be able to, t- 
take, and this is difficult and sometimes, especially with smaller organizations where the what you might be doing projects with people that, that potentially have maybe their relatives and they happen to own a business that does drywall, you need some drywall work. So you cut the guy a break and you know, maybe you're not squeezing him uh, to, to use the term loosely as, as much as you would, you know, a, 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 a somebody you're not as, as closely associated with. But at the end of the day, uh, the, the bills still have to be paid in order for you to continue to, to run the business. So you have to figure figure out based on, you know, who you're dealing with and, and the amount of money. And the best option is to do something consistently. You have to know when to fish or cut bait and, and you know, when, when, when to stop it. And the excuses, as creative as they may be, at some point, you know, they're blowing smoke and yep. you, you have to start taking steps to look at your, pr- protect your best interests. Gotcha. Question number two. What are the key components to an effective and enforceable contract? Now, I must say before we start this question, neither Mr. Gore nor myself are licensed attorneys. Uh, however, like we said, we work with them on a near hourly basis. Um, so a few of the things that, that I know and have personal experience with as well as day-to-day business experience with, uh, clarity, product or service should be clearly stated Timelines and deadlines are imperative as opposed to ambiguity, right? Ambiguity is not a good thing. The payment terms. Absolutely. That's that's the proverbial handshake deal. When you leave that ambiguity in there, it's like, well, he said this. Well, he said that. Well, we had a contract. We had everything all written out. And then while we're talking about the contract, say, hey, can you go ahead and do this extra $10,000 worth of work? Yeah, not a problem, man. But it's not in the contract and you shake the hand don't think that that thing's not going to pop its head up later on potentially correct uh, and with the payment terms a definitive recourse of non-payment uh, at one point do you the the, the the whole proverbial fish and cut bait so yep. so you have a net 10 net 15 net 30 whatever at what point do you say okay enough is enough correct arbitration clauses in certain aspects. Yes. And if it's not identified and specified in that contract, then it's left up to interpretation. Exactly. And that's where it starts to get costly. And you could end up walking away and not getting a dang thing simply because you, you didn't ward it correctly. As far as the, you know, the, the, the brokering of the, the, the relationship and the contract. And another thing that we see happening, especially now, say 2021, uh, communications complaint formats because yep. historically USPS certified mail, right? That's, that's what would mm-hmm. be in a contract. However, they, if it's not stated in the contract, then it could be recognized email, USPS, text message, phone calls, whichever the medium is that the two parties agree for complaints to be handled should be standard across the, uh, contract means. Now this garners another question as far as, and, and, and it is evocative of the whole COVID-19 thing is that a lot of people can't do face-to-face conversations. Um, it, 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 should it be decided contractually as to how communication is mitigated? Like sp- specifically like you have you know for instance if you're going to cancel the contract you have to send it in writing to such and such address certified mail return receipt requested blah blah absolutely blah. 
So I yes. think I think so. And we deal with how many hundreds or thousands, even of, even of even issues in this, a year. even in this day and age with with COVID and the overload on the US USPS. It might be. Yeah, mean, that's why that's exactly why I'm saying it should be stated in the contract, because if it should be by email gotcha. to the managing member or the director, there should be a single point of complaint contacts, even if it's complaint at your domain.com, if that's how you want to. So it sounds to it. me like you're saying, let's identify one singular, you know, communication source. And, but to add to that and really further solidify and, and concrete, concrete the contract after that, say, if, if you don't get a response from, then you take this next step. Correct. And so you're just dotting your I's, crossing your T's. And, you know, if you get to the point where you have to execute on the terms and conditions of the contract, and this is this is solely opinion based, but the right. the the issues with either party may count, cancel this in writing. Writing is text message, writing is email, writing is fax, writing is letters. Right, all of those constitute writing ambiguously, but at the same time, that is writing. So, with how busy business owners, C level executives, credit managers are these so, days, you cannot have a myriad of forums and then expect, let's say you say you have 6,000, 10,000 clients currently mm -hmm. and you're supposed to juggle all these chainsaws. I understand all, all of us really do, but stating in the contract what the communication means, that way you know priority when a complaint comes in via this means. So I, I get what you're saying. And then, you know, and, and again, elimination of ambiguity is, is is paramount in any contract. Otherwise, you're left up to how the judge reads it, the jury reads it, or have you as far as if you have to ex execute against it. I get that part. But here in this day and age, in this COVID thing, I think there's a lot of changes going on that really haven't been enacted into legislature yet. But COVID, COVID doesn't change. See, again, restate the whole not an attorney thing, mm -hmm. but technology doesn't change the law. Technically speaking, correct. The law is our UCC. Let's say a contract but, between you and I, but, the means of communication may change, but the, the law regarding such doesn't change. What about force majeure acts of God? That, that would have been the same in common law. So common law would come into force with regards to no. business transactions that are affected by COVID. Well, the, okay. So what would, what would COVID change about any part of the law? The manner and means of which you're able to communicate either to your client, or perhaps if you're trying to act against your client, communicate with the court systems that have been shut down. Well, these communications haven't changed. It's not like before COVID, we would all get uh, six inches from each other's face and that's how we would seal up a deal. Right. <laughs> so Zoom, Zoom was here before COVID. Email was here before COVID, text message before COVID, all of the commu digital communications. So you're, sta you're stating that 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 the 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 mediums and sources are out there for you to be able to still conduct business. So if you're hanging your hat on old school ways of, of doing things and wanting to blame COVID because you can't do that. No, way, that's the main way that business is true. done now. Okay. Actually, instant message, which thoroughly surprised me is 33 or 34% of business to business communications. Now. Absolutely. It overtook email and phone instant message, which would, which would also include text message. So 
it, it's it's always been it's also been my experience as well. I have had to uh, grow out of my dinosaur years and and get used to using Facebook Messenger to actually conduct business transactions. Whereas <laughs> in the past that wasn't even an option. Some, some people like different people like different things. Sure. Yeah. So that's why that doesn't change the contract. If it's written on paper or if it's written in email, those are both in writing. But you're saying that that contract, and we're both stating we're not attorneys, but but for all intents and purposes, for the consideration of argument and debate, that the in, the, the pandemic and the current uh, economic situation as it relates to transacting payments as affected by COVID has no bearing on the contract. No, not, not for my interpretation or... Any of the attorneys that I've talked to. We shall visit this again. (laughs) Now, if if COVID or a state shutdown did cause a non-performance of contract, which was outside of your realm. That's kind of that's that's not the communication standards. That's a slam dunk. So 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 if so it affect contracts. So So if I'm Joe and I'm trying to communicate with my end user or, you know, contractor or whoever it may be, and I can't do so because everything is shut down. I don't have any cell phone service. This has occurred. Yep. And I and I and I can't reach him. I'm going to be held. I'm, I'm going to be held to the fact that the, 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 the local systems and, and here's. Let me preface it with this. Hold up. COVID did not cause phones to stop working. COVID did cause. Dude. (laughs) I'm not saying phones didn't stop working. What is this? Apocalyptic COVID caused phones to stop working? No, bro. I'm I'm not saying phones didn't stop working. I'm saying you literally just said phone stopped working. Okay, here's what I did. I jumped to the end game of, of, of the process. The beginning of the process is the elimination of income because you can't go to work because of COVID. I can't pay my phone bill. Their way now now my phone's getting cut off and now I have no means of communication communicating with communication. <laughs> communicating with my client. So it is COVID related. Did COVID directly those, affect the inability for me to use my phone? No, absolutely not. It was the inability for me to make money and pay the bill. So does that impact my ability to con- to that? You will have to talk to a, a local attorney about because every county is different. Some counties stop taking. Uh, You're absolutely right. Stop taking filing. Some counties bumped it back 21 days. So. What three thousand seven hundred? That's definitely a topic uh, for a whole, yeah, complete year session. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and the beauty of it is, well, I don't want to call it the beauty of it. The dynamics of it are really intense, and if you're not paying attention to it, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be uh, behind the eight ball. Yeah, COVID and the the impact for the, an entire country being shut down for as long as it did, and, and, and in fact the the uh, the global economy is going to have residual benefit uh, 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 impacts that we are just now starting to see, i.e., liens that are filed on one date but don't re- get recorded until after the expiration date. That's another topic. 
but the, we we are going to have to adjust ourselves, uh, i.e., with re, re, relation to COVID and communicating about a contract, as well as liens and other you know business transactions that take take place to accommodate for what happened. But as and again, we're not attorneys. There is, as far as we know, no legislation published addressing those specific situations. No, because a contract between two parties is still a contract between two parties. Correct. Now, non-performance, obviously we talked about that. However, communications, doesn't matter if it's COVID-related or natural disaster-related, if it's directly, not indirectly, but directly uh, causing that, that's a I would I would assume that's a pretty easy argument. However, the way that businesses transact, transacted was not completely reconstructed because of COVID. Still two parties agree to a contract, mm-hmm. performance, payment, and anything you want to throw in there that's a variable. Let's say my payment slowed down by some cat that I'm trying to get lending from that is affected by the COVID. Let's say your payment slowed down because your credit dropped historically. Oh, so now see, it's the same. It's the same. So thing. you're gleaning on the part of people starting to use code. Oh, as not in my gleaning. It is evidently it's apparent happening that everyone that is not paying is saying it's COVID related. When maybe 25 percent of the people that we deal with is literally COVID related. A lot of companies that were cash mm-hmm. tight are using COVID as an excuse to not pay. That might be another topic for another story as far as talking about how do I how do I deal with people that aren't paying me and they're blaming COVID and I don't dang good and well. It ain't got nothing to do with COVID. Yeah, it's the Peter DePaul principle. Right. Correct. So I guess we just got three more weeks of uh, topics on that one discussion. Absolutely. (laughs) Another one that we must do the attorney disclaimer on. uh, Number three is why are personal guarantees so important and or effective in collections and why should I use one? There are pros and there are cons to this one, um, but the brass tax is an individual is personally signing in addition to uh, the company or entity involved. So there would be more, you're opening their assets for exposure. What if I don't want to sign that? That, I still want to do business with that, you, but I don't want to sign it. If you're dealing with the A-class company, a multi-billion dollar corporation, there's a pretty good certainty that you're not going to have any officers or managers signing as a personal guarantee. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was headed to next. Officers, principals, project managers, you know, executives of the entity applying for the credit, I could get that. But what if I'm... You know, Joe Blow just coming in there and saying, hey, I need to buy some sheetrock and you want me to fill out a credit form. I work for, you know, B&B sheetrocking and you want me to sign a personal guarantee. Are you a project manager or owner? No, I'm neither. I'm a guy that does drives a truck. Well, why am I having why are you signing a credit app anyways? There you go. And there's the flaw. (laughs) Why is a business owner sending down Joe, the guy that drives his truck? To go fill out a credit app, and there and and there's the flaw because in the execution. Do you encounter this often? I'm sorry. Do you encounter this often? Oh, oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, in my experience, I've had instances where um, I have attempted to affect collection against the business. Come to find out, the business is no longer. We happen to have a personal guarantee. 
great. I'm going after that guy. So I call that guy. He's like, man, I just drove a truck and I needed some sheetrock. It was an emergency. It was an emergency job. I did what I, I was, you know, trying to, you know, step up for my employer. I went to a supplier. They had me fill out a credit app. I signed it. They went belly up and now I'm left with, with the bill. Uh, yeah, you signed it. Yup. So I think there could be some education on the client side as far as, you know, personal guarantees are great, but you need to consider who is signing that personal guarantee. Personally, do they have the assets to be able to cover that debt or that credit line? Personally, not just the business, personally. Correct. And that's how a personal guarantee is effective. Secondly, if the business, or if you're not getting getting any feedback or response from the business and you reach out to the personal guarantor, the person that signed and said, I'm personally liable for this, and you talk to them, most likely they're probably gonna call the people that at the business that have to do with uh, payment of, of that debt. So you're, you're creating an additional channel of communication, not only with the personal guarantor, as well as identifying them as being a responsible party. Now you've got the business, now you've got the personal guarantor working hopefully together to get to get to, to, to come to a, a mutual agreement to, you know, rectify the matter. Correct. And like I stated earlier, uh, a class corporations typically more than likely will not be signing a personal guarantee at all for good reason. They have millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of assets to back their guarantee. Right. So why would any individual in a company that has 10,000 employees and that's do the, that? And that's the flip side of this. As I, as I stated that you need to validate whether or not the guy that signed guy, gal, whomever is signing the personal guarantee, do they have the personal assets to be able to legitimize them taking on that, that load? Um, and if, if, if they don't sign, here's the flip side, does the company, does the company have the assets, the means, correct, verifiable information saying they can handle that without a personal guarantee. So what I would use if I was to open a supplier based business, let's say mm -hmm. is I would use a hybrid system. I would do a front end credit check and check the validity of the assets of the company, right? It's right. that is a pretty simplistic report pretty to SLP, run. Yeah. If the company does not have the assets, because a lot of times you'll find 75% of these companies, uh, these LLCs are Fine, companies, by name, their pants, yeah. companies by name only. They don't have real estate. They don't have uh, cars, trailers, all this other stuff. So if everything's in the owner's name, but the company mm -hmm. is a paper company, right? Then I would invoke a personal guarantee in my in my process if I was a, a supplier, if I started a supply company. Absolutely. That, that makes perfect sense. And it, and it still goes back to the other thing I was saying, the person that you would invoke as, an, as a personal guarantee, do they have the assets and the means to cover the debt if the business can't? Correct. And a lot of what I, what's been my experience in some of the businesses that I've dealt with is they have... Joe, the truck driver guy, sign off on this stuff. 
not knowing what that's going to mean to him. He's unaware of it. And then the lender is left holding the bag saying, I just gave this guy, you know, a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. And, you know, he's, he doesn't have the means to pay it back. That's, that's in my opinion, a huge ball being dropped by the credit department of any company. I don't care if you have, if you're the only person in your company, if you're, if you're extending a hundred thousand dollars of credit to a non-officer, Absolutely. Or non-managing member of a company, and you—that's a failure on your you part. You would be amazed at how often that happens. It's all the time. Yeah, that literally the joke even the with, truck driver even thing with is, larger uh, is suppliers. more common than me having a, a a conversation with somebody who's a PG, mm-hmm. a personal guarantor, who is actually an officer. Well, it's almost always because the officers and managers know. <laughs> right? Anyway, so I think that's another topic to the fourth question sure let's do it now so should i use a collection agency or an attorney to collect my debts so there are pros and cons of both and as a company you have to weigh the upfront costs the value of the receivables Mm -hmm. the if the debtor has assets what we just talked about with the uh, pg do you have a pg but does the debtor have assets because if you immediately go legal, you will be spending money uh, in retainer. Out of pocket. You will have an hourly fee, more than likely. I mean, mo- any attorney that's that's good enough to hire for collection mm-hmm. is almost always going to be charging you an hourly fee. Hell, my personal attorney, if I pick up the phone for him, I try to make sure it's under 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because... Three hundred fifty dollars an hour. It doesn't. It adds up. It, it adds quick. up very quick. So, um, the costs are going to going to go very high very quickly. However, if you know the debtor has the means, and they said "f you," sue me. That's a pretty telltale sign of where this whole uh, their intent's not there. Here's my personal experience with quite a few lawsuits. And I used to have the a very large concrete construction company. A lot of these large general contractors nationwide are even localized, but when they have the, the big cash flow, they have a, a floor of attorneys. They want you to sue them. And here's why they didn't pay you the hundred or 500,000 or whatever million dollars for on that draw. Uh, but could, what could they can small. pay is a ten thousand dollars to the attorney to make you just well, shut up. Here's here is a hypothetical worst case scenario for them. They use your money against you in a lawsuit. You go down the road two years. They lose, but they lose on direct tort. Remember, not an attorney. But uh, in a lot of jurisdictions, it's five percent per annum from the date of invoice. Mm-hmm. What's a credit account cost for a, from a bank? More than five percent per annum. They're using your money a bit. to roll the dice against you. And the worst case scenario is I pay 5% on top of what I owe you. And maybe if they if the judge thinks that it's not a warrantable case, maybe they'll award you attorney, attorney fees. But that has to be judge awarded or jury awarded, whatever, whatever the case of the however the case is tried. But two years down the road and they all they had to pay was an extra 5%. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you avoid getting into that sort of a situation? 
Because I've, I've, I've dealt with, with business owners that have gotten to it exactly that situ- situation where, I mean, I mean, it's part and parcel to what you're describing. So that they've got so much money that they can prolong this and just they they have the means, the ability to throw it at you and just spend so much time on it. Meanwhile, bleeding you dry. How do you prevent something like that from happening in the future? I mean, what did you I mean, are, do you have any personal experience with it? Or, or Yeah, absolutely. So you can't prevent that. What would you do? Next you can then? mitigate it. So remember the credit lending uh-huh. aspect, right? You know who you're doing business with, hopefully. You do a asset and liabilities report uh, before you start right, a yep. half million or a million dollar contract. Yep. You 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 keep on rerunning that every year if you have to. If you got a million dollars out with the company or two million dollars, whatever the, whatever the case, a few hundred thousand dollars out, mm-hmm. you're going to want to rerun that report in a systematic way because- Just what, to make sure they're maintaining their books like you are. Well, what I've seen happen is- ABC General Contractors LLC turns into ABC A dot B dot C dot Space General Contractors LLC, whatever. They want to do a name change and they move assets from one company to another. And then the company that you were doing business with last year and are still finishing up a project no exists. or is doesn't have those same books that they had the previous year. So that's one of the ways. The other way is... Ladies and gentlemen, another topic. Uh, another way is... Uh, now, I've had I've had front and back end relationships from both sides, mm-hmm. uh, collection agents and attorneys. Uh, when I did stop operations with the concrete company for non-payment on a bunch of uh, federal jobs, I actually did pay the two suppliers that used collection agencies that did have attorneys because of the, uh, and these were hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. that they were paid. It was because of the professionalism that, that it was handled. Um, really from a personal standpoint, because from, I'm going to tell only you only from a 30, personal standpoint, the 35 years that I've been doing this, you, I can, I, I don't have enough fingers and toes on how many times I have been paid by, for lack of a better term, debtors, that have refused payment with multiple other parties that they've spoken to. But once they get me and we broker the transaction, the end, the end game is these guys call me back and they say, Mr. Gore, I want to thank you for what I just collected $175,000 from you. I want to thank you for the manner in which you treated me. Oh, absolutely. Cause here's the deal. When I, when I shut the doors of the concrete company and was owed well over a million dollars and owed out, I don't know, five, $600,000, the one company, and if I, I'm not going to say them, but if I, if I stated the company, everyone would know them. They're a nationwide company sued me immediately. And it wasn't a huge debt. I call $50,000, not a huge debt, but in business suppliers sued me immediately. Here's what happened. My wife got served with the uh, papers. I'm completely fine with it. You know, whatever. She freaks out. Officer at the door, the whole night. Never even got proper letter. You know, just they didn't. They There was no open communication because I wasn't sticking my head in the sand. I had the I had all of the work and projects uh, secured. Mm-hmm. So. They went about it that way. 
And in my mind, I was like, you know what? F you. You're going to, you're going to go. You're, there's a proper way to go about this. And if I have the means, why, why did you need to go that route? I understand if, if I was, if I was completely disregarding you. However, that's not how it happened. Another company that I owed $360,000 to called me up. Hey, look, we're just trying to find out what's going on. We understand. We've Bingo. heard through the grapevine, blah, 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 blah. I told him, listen, here's what I have. I have all of these. I had 70 or 80 properties leaned in five or six government bonds filed. And I had, so I had the recoverable uh, uh, assets, right? Mm -hmm. They got 340 of the $360,000 within a month. And they said, handshake, we're all good. Because, you know, they knew the operations. The company that I factored with, I factored my receivables, came down. One of the owners of the company came down. We talked in my office, showed her the books, showed her what I was owed. She goes, wow, I didn't realize, you know, you're a real genuine person that completely open. And the way that she handled it, I signed off uh, one of the government jobs and they had, they had on staff attorneys, a big finance company. And that they ended up getting paid and absolved me. They took a hickey. I took a huge hickey, but uh, three of my four biggest payments were paid within three or four months. One didn't get paid at all. I mean, the company had no assets. So you being you being the debtor in, in what you're describing, what do you think other than this is the big one other other than your own personal motivation, your own personal code of, of morals and ethics? What motivated you? to reach out to those people, to some people, but some, you said, you know, pound sand. I get the whole, you know, you, your wife got served. That, that would rub me wrong as opposed to calling and say, hey, what's going on? What can we do? Well, the, here's what we're getting ready to do. The difference, the main thing was communications, right? Yeah. So if you're dealing with somebody that does have hundreds of thousands or millions to pay the debt. Understand who you're talking but to. But they're, yeah, and if, if that person, Allah myself, has been to court before, mm -hmm. even in my mid twenties, having a, who you're talking having to, a, I think that company had ninety five or a hundred employees. Right. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't my first rodeo. At the same time, the way that it was handled was more, uh, let's call it personal, rather than business. Gotcha. And I understand business. No harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. Right. Completely. You, you need to get your money. I agree. So they basically took off their business cap and you guys sat down with a cup of coffee and said, hey, we're not talking businessman to businessman. We're talking man to man and say, what's what's that's up? It. What can I do to help that's you? That's it. As soon as I'm served, the gloves are off. That, that's that's I how I felt. Too. That's how I felt. It's a fight now. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had to suit people before sure. in business. So I understand how that happens. But that's. And I think that's probably you, how you can you, you can take equate the steps. it to is that you you've handled you know your business in that yeah. fashion. Complete disagreement on the way a contract was supposed to be interpreted, right. or or payment terms, or the person just said "f you sue me," you know whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But not where somebody's willfully wanting to pay, and just understand that that when a company's going down, you have to understand the even if they're solvent, even if they're completely solvent. The owner's in a um, fight or flight mode, right? Sure. And 
you never know where those chips are going to fall. I understand you want to get to the top of the totem pole. At the same time, like you said, know who you're talking to because if that person can strike the check and you piss them off, you might be left holding the bag because you didn't get the check struck while money and was still And if the person there. can't strike the check, at least leave yourself an option with your foot in the door so that you can commu- continue communication and in that vein be at the top of the pecking order of everybody Absolutely. else that's it that's screaming at this ca- this 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 cat for money there's a there's a time and a place to apply Absolutely. the pressure and there's a time and a place to maintain professionalism because it's not a really fun scenario and that circles back to what we were talking about as far as when do the excuses grow thin okay the excuses are the problem probably don't get me wrong. And, Human nature is, let's, is, is let's, to Let's talk to about that. that because if you go to somebody and you go to them personally, like man to man, this isn't business like, you know, the whole cup of coffee episode. <clears throat> the likelihood that you're going to come up with some sort of excuse is slim to none. And if you do, it's because you meant to scam that guy in the first place. Well, if not, you're going to open up and you're going to say, listen, I, I know we're running behind I'm going to do the right thing. This is what's going on. I don't know what you can do. That's exactly what I told them. I I called my suppliers at that time. Hey, look, this job, this job, this job, and this job. I had four of them. I think that equated to well over a million just for that that month. Right. (laughs) Which was, was, they kept kicking the can. Right. And so um, I explained to all the suppliers, look, I'm not getting paid. It's been, so after you bill Mm-hmm. on the 20th and get paid on the 20th. I'm already 60 days in. I've paid my people every Friday, right? All that good stuff. I, I don't forget payroll is running $70,000 a week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give or take on the job, just depending on the jobs and the so subs. you got a lot of stuff. dollar signs and balls in the air. Absolutely. And then, um, and then, so, but I, I was communicative. They all knew, hey, he's not getting paid on these jobs. That's not, that shouldn't be it's their not an problem. Out. It's not an out, but and it's it, not their problem. But it is an open communications platform, it and they them, understand. It lets them know you're paying attention. Absolutely, you're not just saying uh, thanks for the money. Bye. Exactly. Right. So that's that's what made that I I got out of that whole situation, licking my wounds, lost four hundred k. It's not funny. It's really not funny, but uh. Well, sometimes you got to lose 400K to make 400 million. Yeah, right? it, 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 it's a definite learning experience, that, right? That's, 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 a so, good, that's, that's a decent scar. It is. It's better than a book. <laughs> so, but as far as what, whether or not to go with a, a collection agency or an attorney, I'm just going to boil it down to some hot points. If you go with an attorney, you're going to be paying by the hour. You need to be specific on what exactly you're paying for. Are you just getting a letter? Are you getting some phone calls? Are they going to handle liens? Be very conclusive. Uh, Don't charge, you know, give them $350 just to, you know, you don't even, you're not even sure what's going to happen with that. Also be very specific as far as how long that that attorney is going to handle it. A common occurrence that happens in, in my line of work is that we start collecting on an account that was placed with us by a client who had assigned it to an attorney prior to us, but failed to fire the attorney. And now the attorney goes back in later on. Now we've got two people, you know, barking up the same tree. So just make sure that when you broker with an attorney, you're very specific 
and the money you're paying, you're willing to pretty much just let go of. There's no guarantee you're going to get it back. Flip side. Now, now, and that, that's that's the risk. The reward is that you're dealing with an attorney and he can say, for lack of a better term, attorney things and potentially take on your case if it happens to go to a lawsuit. And he's already got the backstory. You've already got a relationship with him. Um, that's a good reason to use an attorney if you need that immediate return. Now, if you're willing to wait a little bit and you don't, you still want some idea of uh, uh, protecting the relationship, a contingency agency might be your best deal. Primary reason number one, you know, no out-of-pocket cost. Depending on the, the deal that you broker with them, almost 100% of them are no out-of-pocket up front. Well, also, you stated trying to preserve the relationship with the that's, client. That's the other you, part. That has to be an upfront understanding, and you got to know the agency that you're using. Absolutely. And part of, much as I stated as it relates to understand what you're getting from the attorney, understand what the how that agency is going to represent you. And know if they've done that before. True. Because there's a vast majority. And that's valid. You know this and I know this. That's validating the interest, the agency. And that's that's a whole different topic. It's like, which how do I pick an agency? Why should I should 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 I use an agency? This is an agency between uh, uh, an attorney. Correct. So we're dealing with that specifically. The benefits of using an agency, no out of uh, out of pocket upfront costs. Um, and there is go- there is inherently a better motivation for somebody who is spending money to collect yours so they get paid as opposed to a person that's already been paid for services that haven't even been provided. That's called simple personal economics. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I agree. I agree with that entire um, explanation. If you need the money now, sometimes the attorney's not the better choice. Why is that? If I go to court for two years, how much do I get as opposed <gasps> to the money now? I digress. <laughs> Maybe an agency would be better. Well, here, here's, here's, here's the best hybrid of that whole scenario. An agency that has attorneys on staff. By Mr. Butoh's in charge. And they have them. They're out there. Yes, they are. (laughs) So that is the best way to know on the front end and the back end. Another good option is to hire an agency that not only does contingent collections, but they also have counsel on staff. And that way you can invoke the use of an attorney without the necessary equitable cost of hiring one separately. And that agency will be more likely after the upfront collections efforts Mm -hmm. to let you know, well, if it's a good agency, if if it's a reputable agency to let you know if it's fruitful to take this to court with in-house or or local or associate counsel being that they're still held to a contingency plus cost. So absolutely. I don't want to say it's the best of both worlds because at a certain growth stage in a company, they are going to start to retain uh, attorneys on staff. However, very rarely for collections matters, mostly for contractual and liability issues, right? Mm -hmm. In the growth stage, a 
you got to be a really large company to retain in-house collection attorneys. Uh, Your your in-house attorney is more than likely until you get to that A-class corporation going to be contract review, um, liability, HR. (laughs) Yes. This type, these type of things. So collection specific or debt and recovery specific is, is a big deal. It, It makes a big difference whenever you're speaking to the attorney. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's your, you can't expect your, your HR attorney to be able to handle, you know, a, a lawsuit that's been filed by a debtor because, you know, did A, B, and C. Well, the other reason is uh, even attorneys use attorneys to help them, well, collect their, uh, their receivables because there is, and I have to do a disclaimer, I'm not an attorney, I'm but not an attorney. I spoke with my personal attorney who's like a good family friend now uh, about this. He uses, or he'll have to use attorneys if, if he has to go after his own receivables or he'll have to use an agency because if you sue your own receivables as an agency, or if you sue your own receivables as a company, you lose the, he explained it, uh, insurance and uh, the attorneys, the attorneys have a certain type of protection whenever they're acting in a relationship to a client, right? Attorney client. Sure. Absolutely. Or agency client. Uh However, whenever they're acting in regards to their own agency or or themselves, they lose that uh, veil of security. That's why a lot of times you'll see two attorney buddies and one's representing the other. Gotcha. You're like, why, why are you spending that extra money? That makes sense. Because they still want the, security of of the attorney client privilege exactly gotcha so there was another one that came up um that i'd wanted to talk about can i add collection fees lien cost interest etc to the debt owed uh whether you're collecting it yourself or with an agency that would inherently include the the uh collection costs um So question number five, uh, Mr. Buteau, that uh, I will we'll close this session with is, can I add collection fees, lien costs, interest to the debt owed, whether you're collecting it yourself or whether you hire an agency or even an attorney for that matter? It's a very broad scope and it's it is driven primarily by each state where the debt was created as well as the state where the primary business is operating out of. And the contract. And the contract. Yep. There's lots of different moving parts here. The one thing that I have boiled it down to are Attorney disclaimer. We're not. We are not attorneys. (laughs) I am not an attorney. (laughs) Anyway, so the answer, so I boiled it down to me being not an attorney. It there are so many variables I've boiled it down to what can I add when and how (laughs) here's what I think you start with the most obvious which would be your contract okay and from the contract which a lot of the times whenever we deal with a client that 
uh, is asking this question, it's because their contract doesn't state this. Funny you say that. Right here on when I have this is a topic all by itself. Is it a lien? Collection item, invoice, contract. What are the terms? Net fill in the blank. The contract is key. The contract is the obvious it's, it's four the corners mi- of the contract. It's, it's the mitigating so, instrument that's going to guide the correct the rest of this correct journey and goes. Again, attorney disclaimer. But if the contract states some, you know, I've seen this plenty of times before. Some ridiculously high interest terms that's outside of usury mm-hmm. that part is only enforceable up to that uh, jurisdiction's usury right uh, so that that needs to be that needs to be step number two is checking <laughs> the locality usury and a lot of times there will be two or three different numbers one for oral agreements good luck enforcing that one one for written agreements and different types of industries also banks and loans that's different than suppliers and um, material men and labor men. So the state or uh, local jurisdiction is going to dictate those numerics, but the contract's going to dictate the jurisdiction if it was written properly. Right. Um, So there's a bunch of moving parts to this one. You can, under optimal circumstances, in the right jurisdictions, add all of those. A lot of the times... Very few of those, if the contract was written improperly, are able to be added. And there's the rub. That's why I said the contract is key. So, boys and girls, make sure you're writing your contracts concisely, specifically with dates, amounts, who's responsible for what, as in, on what dates, and for what amount, and uh, you'll live a happy life as a contractor. Don't be the squirrel. Don't be the squirrel. Commercial cash flow show.